0: Welcome to the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. This is the show that shares information and inspiration to help you break free from self-doubt, limiting beliefs and disempowering patterns, and break through to create the thriving, successful business you dream of and deserve. I'm your host, Winnie Anderson. The show features interviews with entrepreneurs who've overcome amazing challenges to create success on their terms, and experts who share insight and practical information that can help you get past your blocks and move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. The show is available in both video and audio formats on a variety of platforms, including iTunes, iHeartRadio, in the Google Play Store, on YouTube, and on my website at winnieanderson.com. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll share the show with others, and I hope you'll decide to become a member of my community. You can become a fan of the show on my website at winnieanderson.com slash fans. When you do, you'll get episodes delivered right to your inbox, along with information, tips, and resources to help you consistently move forward with courage, confidence, and clarity. I want to help you position and pre-sell yourself as the unique solution provider you are and ultimately to profit from your expertise and build a business in alignment with your faith, beliefs, and values. One of the issues we solo professionals can wrestle with is embracing and leveraging who we really are in order to move forward and achieve our goals. Maybe we get easily distracted from a project or goal because we have so many ideas swimming in our heads or we might lack confidence in our work, in our plans, or even in ourselves. We may be naturally gifted in one area, while we feel lacking in another, so we spend all our time doing the thing we love and that we're good at. But the thing we're lacking in and avoiding may be the very thing that can move our business forward. This can be especially true for those of us who fall somewhere on the spectrum of being a creative entrepreneur which is why I wanted today's guest to be on the show. Lisa Robin Young is the coach for creative entrepreneurs who are ready for help growing their business while getting their message out in the world. She blends a unique combination of business smarts with understanding the creative mind and personality because she's a creative herself. She's an international best-selling author, a singer with multiple albums, and a video blogger. Listen in as Lisa explains the differences between a creative entrepreneur and a plain old run-of-the-mill entrepreneur, how to identify where you fall on the creative spectrum and how understanding that can help you achieve your goals, why she thinks dumb goals are actually a good idea. You heard that right, dumb goals, the three types of growth plans and how someone can know which one is right for them and their business, the $5 million growth plan that she found in a box, and the secret to staying on course with a growth, growth plan and how to keep life from derailing us. As always, listen all the way to the end where I'll share your cocktail exercise and action step for this episode. All right, Lisa, I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm so glad to be back, Winnie. I'm just thrilled. I know. You're, one, you're in a special group. I want you to know... You are one of only a couple, at this point, of repeat guests, so uh, I interviewed Lisa on my original podcast, which was called Let's Talk Tech, and you're back, so so excited, so all right, so let's just dive right in, so Lisa, let's talk about the differences between a creative entrepreneur and a run-of-the-mill regular old entrepreneur. Cause I have ah. to say it was probably until we actually met and we've now known each other, I don't know, four or five years. that yeah. we've, we've been work, working together. Um, I never, I never considered myself, <laughs> I never considered myself creative even though I was a copywriter. So Let's talk about that, shall we? <laughs> uh,
1: well, there's a reason why you particularly in your linearness don't identify as creative. But to answer your question, um, the differences between a creative entrepreneur and a quote unquote run of the mill, regular entrepreneur are actually on the most kind of slight because a lot more entrepreneurs are creative than are creative entrepreneurs than you might think. Um, I like to say all entrepreneurs are creative. Not all creatives are entrepreneurs. But even in that spectrum of entrepreneurship, Creative entrepreneurs are the people who are trying to make a living doing what they love, um, creating it's, it's their creation versus I'm investing in someone else's company. That's not creative entrepreneurship. That's entrepreneurship, just general run of the mill entrepreneurship. But if you're the person who is bringing something into the world, whether it's an idea, an invention, um, whatever is being created from your being in your mind, and you're using that as a vehicle for income. That's what a creative entrepreneur
0: is. Right. So so a franchisee for TCBY yeah, no. would not fall under the heading of a creative entrepreneur. They no. might have creative tendencies, but we're really talking about somebody who, yeah, it's really all them, right? It's all us. Yeah. Okay. So let's, and you mentioned that I'm a linear, yeah. right? So let's yeah. talk a little bit about this because we're really talking about, where somebody falls on the creative entrepreneur spectrum, which Lisa actually is the creator of. So, and I think this is fascinating because it really is part of what helped me not just recognize it. Yes, I really am creative, but also to embrace it. So why don't you explain the spectrum and how you came up with it? So I came up with the spectrum the way a lot of creatives come up with things completely by accident, right? <laughs> I,
1: my business was in a tailspin and I was trying to figure out why and how to, how to solve the problem. And I looked back over the last 10-ish years that I had been working as a business coach and consultant. And as I looked at the entrepreneurs. They were all over the map. I worked with authors. I worked with performing artists. I worked with um, think tank people. I worked with accountants. I worked with other coaches. I mean, they were all over the map. And I'm like, there's no target market here. There's got to be a target market. What do they all have in common? And so I started pulling out sticky notes. And I would write down their name and one of the tasks that we worked on while I was working with them in their business. And I also wrote down all of the things that they had originally come to me for. And I started sorting, trying to find a pattern, putting them anywhere and just sorting. And, and eventually um, my son was like, is this some kind of crazy like origami craft project, mom? I'm like, no, 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 I'm, this is work. I'm really, I promise. And so then like 70 piles became 40 piles, became 20 piles. And I had two pretty clear piles of sticky notes. And then I had this handful of stragglers. And the two piles were, these were creative types, people that we typically classify as creatives, performers, uh, healers, dancers, artists, etc. And then there were these very, um, what I was calling linear types at the time, like they're, they're accountants, they're thought leaders, they're, you know, very much about numbers and processes and order and structure. But then I had these like, stragglers that didn't really clearly fit in either pile and the more I looked at the piles I'm like I don't clearly fit in either one of these piles so now I'm starting to wonder if maybe it's not two camps maybe it's three but then why would there be so few of these guys in the middle here and so that's when I started to lay them back out and I recognized there was this spectrum from the very chaotic go with the flow I don't want to call them loosey-goosey but you kind of get the gist when I say Mm -hmm. that Um, The entrepreneur who just kind of lets things happen versus the very linear structured process, order, systems, get it done, down to the wire, under budget, on time, you know, that very linear type person. And then in the middle were folks like me, these fusion creatives who kind of had one foot in both worlds. We could do, we could speak either language pretty equally and we kind of liked and hated both sides pretty equally. And that's how this,
0: this creative freedom entrepreneur type spectrum was born. Okay, awesome. Now let's, let's talk about that freedom aspect. So how, where does the freedom come into play? Well, the nice thing about this spectrum is that
1: it helps you identify how you best show up in the world. So it's your preference, not your proficiency. Because just because you're good at something doesn't mean it's something you should be doing. Um, It means you've had a lot of practice at it. Mm -hmm. You know, you might have even had a natural ability for it or were raised in an environment where you were exposed to it quite a bit, but that doesn't mean that's how you're wired. And what I find when I'm working with clients and with other entrepreneurs that I've talked to is when they step into that space of, yeah, I'm a chaotic and this is how I do my best work, It becomes a lot easier to do their work. It becomes a lot easier for them to let go of the things that they don't do well and hand them over to another team member who can pick up the ball and run with it. So this sense of freedom comes in. You don't have to do all the things all the time, even as a solopreneur, and that frees up your time. That frees up your energy because you're not doing that draining hamster wheel of hustle type work all the time. And... You're going to be making better money because you're doing the things that are important that you do well, and you're trusting the people on your team to pick up the slack on the other things.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so important. Wait, and it's and and you know even if you're not chaotic, it's they're so easy to get sucked into a little bit of chaotic just because there's so much to to do, so much to learn, so much to you know, yeah, it's insane. So. Then part of this is also that, we, as you said, we've got to move ourselves, our businesses forward. We've got to hit our revenue goals and objectives. And we've got to create a thriving business that's well profitable, that we can live that abundant life, right, that we keep talking about. Yes. And one of the things that I've seen creatives that I know uh, resist is the whole issue of goal setting. That can be a little bit too linear for them. And we know that, you know, we have all, especially those of us who come from a corporate background, we all know about smart goals, right? And everybody yeah. has their own variation of that, of yeah. what the R and the T and that sort of thing. We know about smart goals. I used to work with a, a an author who I could gush about for hours. His name's Mark Murphy. He has a fantastic book, called hard goals, h-a-r-d, hard goals. But you talk about dumb goals. So can you can you explain what dumb goals are and why is actually setting a dumb goal a good idea?
1: Sure, yeah. Well dumb goal actually became a mnemonic device for me because when I would tell people I want to do this, you know, in all of my creativeness invariably, I would either hear, that's nice, sweetie, but you need a fallback plan, right? Every creative's heard that story. Or I would hear, well, that's a dumb idea. That's a dumb goal. That's dumb. Who would want to do that? And because I was getting fed that, I wanted to reframe what dumb meant so that Mm -hmm. I could be empowered with the word versus feeling like everybody was crapping on my parade. Right. So I turned dumb into this mnemonic where dumb stands for doable understandable, meaningful, and believable. Because what I've found awesome. is that when you set a goal, most of the reason that chaotics resist goal setting is twofold. One, they don't feel like it's possible for them. They can't do it. You know, they know they need to set some big goal and it, it just, it's overwhelming to even think about it. So they just forget about it. Or people are setting goals that they think they should set because someone has told them they should, they should be at this point by this stage in their career or whatever, And so by taking all of the shoulds out of the equation and really getting someone to focus on what they can do or what has been done before that they can prove has been done before, what is understandable to them, even if the rest of the world doesn't get it, Mm -hmm. what is meaningful to them, because if it's too big, it's overwhelming, it doesn't have meaning. If it's too small, it's kind of, eh, why should I bother, right? And it's believable. Because again, if it's way too big and it's too unwieldy and it's overwhelming, they just don't have faith that it's ever going to happen. And if you don't think it's going to happen, you're not going to move forward on it. You're, right. you're going to really drag your heels. But if you've come to a place where I know it's been done before or I know that I'm capable of doing it, I understand exactly what has to happen in order for me to achieve that goal. It means something to me. Even if it doesn't mean anything to anybody else, it's important to me. And I believe it's possible. I'm going to start taking steps. And in the process of taking those yeah. steps, new realities are going to occur and you're going to be able to address those as they come along. And it keeps you from staying stuck because – it's always the right size goal for you versus I'm going to, you know, set a hag or I'm going to set
0: something that's hard right. and huge. And it's like, I can't, I can't manage that. Right. Right, so a BHAG is a is a big, hairy, audacious goal, and yeah. of course we have those drummed into us not just from corporate life, because of course that's a, a a typical corporate expression, but also from these stinking gurus who go on and on about how you know you've got to have this massive, gigantic goal. And okay, so I have a goal. I'm going to make a million dollars. Right? If you've never made more than seventy thousand, and you say I'm going to make a million dollars your brain is going to go go ahead yeah let me uh-huh. try Yawn. right That's <laughs> exactly right and and you then yeah it becomes so hard because you're really fighting against yourself and that inner critic starts screaming every time you try and do something to take yourself to that next level yeah. and yeah so s- screw the gurus you i really believe that somebody asked me this to you know do i need a goal that's more realistic Well, yeah, you do. If that's what you think you need to go, it's more realistic. If you know that that million dollars is truly inspirational for you, absolutely set it and go for it. But it's okay to say my million dollars is going to be 10 years from now and it's okay to not even have that. Right. Right. One of
1: the things that I tell people all the time is I would rather see you shoot for something that's smaller, that still has meaning for you. And, and add or more to the end of your goal right, so that that's when you exceed it, right. you're like, I did it and then I exceeded it instead of constantly reaching, constantly mm-hmm. stretching, yeah. constantly pushing, always being on what I call the hamster wheel of hustle and right. never quite making it because that just leads to more disappointment. And it's it's really great. It, I mean, it's really feel good for people to go, well, you didn't hit your goal, but look how far you came. Yeah, but we all know what we're really going, is, what we're really saying is, but I didn't hit the goal, but yeah, that's right. I didn't hit the goal. Yeah. And, and yeah. I've been that person who constantly pushes for something way out there and never hits it. And yeah, I've accomplished quite a bit in my life and people always go, "Oh my God, you've done so much. And I'm like, yeah, but I haven't hit that goal yet. I haven't hit that goal yet. And so I had to learn how right. to reprogram my brain to be like, success is a destination and I am already here. Right. Right now.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's great that you say that. Yeah. It's so common for us to focus on what we didn't do what we haven't reached we could uh, you know achieve a million things but if it wasn't that big thing or that specific thing then it's not quite good enough yeah um you know that's that kind of feeds into the fact that most of us are obsessed with growth right (laughs) we're always looking to get the next big client we're always looking to move that goalpost and and stretch ourselves and and achieve that so You talk about how there are actually three different, I think, three different segments or types of of growth and growth plans. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and explain that? Sure. Um, There
1: are different stages of life cycle development for a business, and this is not my concept. I totally ripped this off from Les McKeown. He was a client of mine. He wrote the book Predictable Success, uh, How to Get Your Organization on the Growth Path and Keep It There. Great book, and he talks about every business starts in early struggle. And the singular goal of early struggle is to get out of early struggle as fast as possible before the money runs out and get yourself into fun. Fun is where things are fun and happening and the money's flowing and the clients are coming in and everything feels good and you've got breathing room and it's awesome. And then as you continue to grow, things start to, to shake apart. Um, you don't have enough systems and processes in place. Things start falling through the cracks. Customer orders get missed. Just The money is not as rich as it once was and it's like, what's going on here? So these are the stages that lead up to what Les calls predictable success, where the company has just enough agility to be able to make changes, but enough systems and processes in place to keep things running like a well-oiled machine. In those stages of growth, there are different types of growth plans that you need to be able to um, navigate them as quickly and as effortlessly as possible. Fun is fun. People get to fun, and a lot of people, they just want to stay there. And most lifestyle entrepreneurs, they can, right? They never have to go into predictable success because that's all about scaling up and, you know, getting really big and, Mm. and, you know, taking yourself out of the equation more, whereas a lot of creative entrepreneurs, they want to keep their fingers on the pulse of business. They want to stay that figurehead. Um, I like to tell people that um, Sir Richard Branson is a creative entrepreneur, but Virgin is is, is a completely different monster altogether, right? right? It's right. a corporate entity. It's a completely yeah. different thing. So that's that's a comparison I use. So using Les's framework, I developed these growth plans. When you're in early struggle, it's about finding the market that's going to buy your stuff and finding enough of those people so that you can keep your nose above water and, and get profitable. So you have to be profitable and sustainable because you can't just keep cranking stuff out and having this much profit and then having to stay on the hamster wheel. So during that phase of growth, you need what's called a transition plan because you're transitioning away from whatever your old income source was into this new income source. And you have a finite amount of time to make that happen because you're either going to leave the day job or you're going to run out of credit card overhead, or the husband's going to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to finance this anymore. Like you are on borrowed time. So the object of this is to get as many offers out into the world as possible. And sometimes it feels like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall. Every every month or two, you're throwing a new offer out just to see who's responding so that you can see if you've got something that people want to buy. Now, once you've latched onto that thing that people are interested in buying, you don't want to keep throwing all this stuff out into the world because that's going to water down your efforts. That's when you go from a transition plan into a momentum plan. And just like a rocket ship, you know, you have, you have a lot of thrust and a lot of power that's put out here, but then it's one thing in one direction and you just keep going with it. Apple is, was really good with this one computer and that was the only type they had and they pushed it and one listening music, listening device, and they pushed one phone and they just keep going with it. Right. Um, once that thing gets traction, then you can add something else right? But the idea here is one thing to get momentum and keep things moving. And that's how you get into fun and through fun into that whitewater space. When you hit whitewater, whitewater is a turning point. It's a decision-making point. Do I want to scale up into predictable success? Or do I want to stay, scale back just a tiny bit and keep things in fun and not have to worry about multinational corporate status and all of the layers of overhead that go with that. Right? So when you make that decision, you're either going to go into a maintenance plan. That's the third type of growth plan. Mm -hmm. And, and it is a growth plan because you're either Jonathan Fields told me this one. He said, you're either moving forward or you're falling behind because if you stay lateral, you make a lateral move, people are moving ahead and you're staying here. So a momentum plan is about tweaking what you're doing and making sure that you're staying where you need to stay without trying to get too big and without shrinking back. So those are the three types of growth plans. You either have a okay. transition plan, a momentum plan, or a maintenance plan. And when you're ready to move up, then that's usually when you bring in that second offer and now you're working, you know, two momentum items, one that's maintained and stable and now we're going to now we're going to introduce, you know, the iPhone or right you know, I or whatever. So you're right. gonna yeah,
0: you're gonna create a course, you're gonna create right. a certification program, you're gonna you're gonna right. look at other ways to maximize your revenue. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Okay, that makes sense. So but we all know that the devil is actually in the execution, right? <laughs> There's we love planning. I can plan all day. I can be <laughs> create pages and pages of plans, but right. the problem is you have to actually do something. I knew and,
1: you bring and then this up. make it
0: happen. So let's let's talk about you know this difference between building a plan and actually getting it done. And I then you can talk done. about that magical $5 million plan and the okay. box. Yeah, The box so, and the plan. $5 million plan, right? I sat down five years ago, almost to the
1: day when I unpacked it, it blew my mind. Five years ago, I sat down and I wrote out a step-by-step plan to take me from where I was. And again, at that time, I was like frantic, frustrated, trying to figure it all out, right? To $5 million in five years. Like that was the goal. $5 million in five years. And here's how I was going to do it. Step by step, every day, here were all the action plans that I was going to do. Like I had it all mapped out. And about a month into the project, I put that notebook in a box and it stayed in that box for five years. The reason that it stayed in the box was because it wasn't dumb. I could not execute on the plan. As simple as it looked, as easy as it looked, it was still too much because I was um, living at home with a small child and I was responsible for that child's care and welfare, right? I didn't have a full work day to work, but I had a full day of work scheduled every single day. So I was not being reasonable about what I was actually capable of doing. Right, So I couldn't execute and then I got frustrated, I got overwhelmed, I got angry and then life happened and so I'm like screw it, I threw it away in the box and then I pulled it out and went, oh my gosh, had I stayed the course? Even if I had only scaled back and done a little bit of those things and just kept going forward with momentum within those five years, I might not have been at five million, but I sure would have been a lot farther along than I am today and it was just like, what did I do? (laughs) And that's yeah. become my mantra. It's like plans are great, but if you don't execute, I, Eisenhower said uh, plans are useless, but planning is everything, like the act of making the plan. And I'm right. like, you know, planning is about 90%. Execution is everything. You actually have to move on it because if you don't, it never gets done. Yeah. You just pat yourself on the back and go, oh, look at the good job I did, but you didn't do it. Right.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. The book never gets written. The product never gets created. Yeah. The, you know, you never get clients to have a transformation through that great process a
1: takes a lot of effort. I mean, when I do planning with my clients, they come to Nashville and it's three days of us going through like, what's really important to you? What do you really want to accomplish? What are you going to put in your calendar to make sure that it actually is right. done? And then they look at their calendar and go, holy crap, I don't have as much time as I thought I did. Exactly. Okay, so then you've got to right-size your expectations around what you're really going to do this year. Right, right. And then follow through on that. And that that process by itself is very effortful, and it takes lot out, and you're like, whoa,
0: I accomplished so much. And I'm like, sister, you just got started. Right, right. Yeah, you just built the foundation. Right. Yeah, and it's so easy to say, I'm going to do whatever it takes to Until make this happen. Until you're in the middle happen. of doing it. Until you're in the middle of doing it. And I once wrote my, I guess it was my second book. I wrote my second book in like 21 days. They were the worst 21 days of my life. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was just a horror show. And, you know, it was, yeah, it was a pretty good book. I got good reviews. I, you know, but really I sat back and thought that was really just an exercise in ego stroking. I mean, there was no, it's not like I was in the Olympics, right? And I had to get those done, book done because I'm going to go into the Olympics and I want to have this tie-in to me being on the, you know, on the, on the podium, getting my gold medal. No, nothing. <laughs> I wasn't going to the White House. Right. You know, I wasn't speaking before the United Nations. What am I doing? Just ego. That's all it was. So, yeah, I think we really have to, and not just ego, listening To those people on the outside, you know, I'll edit my expletives, you know, but the gurus out there, you must do this and must have it by X. Yeah. What? Right. So you, you have again, you have nobody to blame, but yourself and you're, you're working yourself to death. And for, is that really the best use of your time? Or should we be focusing on something that's going to get us through that whitewater period faster yeah, I can go on for hours just about that particular topic alone, but yeah. we will just move on, shall we? <laughs> so, all right, so, so let's talk about, and that brings us also then to staying the course, right? Because there are so many distractions, and part of the problem with being creative is you just are a little idea machine, right? Yeah. Or a big idea machine, as the case may be. So yeah. let's talk about staying the course and actually achieving things and keeping life from derailing us. Sure. Yeah. And
1: that's a big one because yes. a lot of people, especially, you know, at the top of the year, you're like, these are my resolutions and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be all bad about this and we're going to get her done. And 25 days into the year, you're like, you put your plan in the box and life has happened. And so one of the things that I do when I'm working with my clients is we look at the whole year And we block off the things that we know are going to happen. And I mean, we put everything on one calendar. So dental appointments, doctor visits, family vacation trips, kids plans, everything goes on one calendar. And then we look at what are the goals in our five key areas of success that we really want to achieve. And we look for milestones, like mile markers. For example, if I want to lose 100 pounds, there's two different ways that I can set those milestones. I could just break it down into 25 pounds a quarter right? If, if I'm real linear and I know I can commit to that, mm-hmm. or it might be, well, I'm going to do 10 pounds in the first quarter because I got a lot of mind work that I got to do and got to get in the habit of at that first quarter. And if I can do 10 pounds, that'd be great. And then spread the rest of it out over the other three quarters, right? But we look at we take a, a quarterly snapshot. Then we go really granular on the next quarter. What are your monthly milestones for this quarter? What are your weekly uh, action steps? this quarter because a quarter is enough time to start getting some momentum, but not so much time that if you fall behind, you can't recover. Right. And so at the end of every quarter, it's time to review. And, And when my oldest son was in a wilderness camp for boys with emotional problems, he lived there for 25 months, they had this single daily mantra, plan, do, evaluate. You make a plan, you execute on the plan, and at the end of the day, you go back and go, what went well? What do we need to try differently next time, right? Well, we don't have to do that every day, but we need to do it at least once a quarter. Are we still on track with these goals? Do these goals even still matter anymore? Because maybe you checked it off and you're like, I'm good, I don't need it. Let's roll something else in there. Or maybe we don't need to, right? Or maybe we've decided my life's going in a completely different direction. I don't want that goal anymore. I'm going to put something different in there. Fine. Or, yeah, that's still important, and I'm not there yet, now I can go back and look at the quarter and go, what did I do or what did I fail to do to get that ball rolling? Is there something I still need to reach out and ask for help on? You know? And so when you couple that with some type of an accountability program, whether it's you know, a partner or a group or whatever, then you can show up and go, here's what I'm working on. I'm going to celebrate. This is what I accomplished. Here's where I'm still stuck. Can you help or can you at least give me some encouragement so that I can stay on the path? Those things working in tandem give you enough breathing room and chaotics appreciate that wiggle room to not be like, I have to do this at 1201 and this at 1242 and this at 155, right? right? They can't handle that much structure. That just freaks them out. But the quarter gives them enough room to move around, make plans, change plans, and still keep moving forward. Whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, a linear is like okay at twelve oh one we're going to do this at twelve forty two we're going to do this at eleven fifty five we're going to and and they can they can hit that because they put it in their calendar. If it's not scheduled, it's stressful. I learned that a long time ago, and that's what I drill into all my clients' heads. I don't care if it's eat lunch. I put eat lunch, fix dinner in my calendar so that I don't overschedule myself.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That really well said. That's something that I have have learned the hard way um, about myself as well and yeah if I don't plan it it doesn't happen and and then the danger is that I will then book 48 hours worth of work in a 10-hour day Right, and,
1: and then, then working wonder,
0: 20 hours, and and, not getting any sleep. Right, and I'm wondering why am I so stressed? What what's going on here? Yeah, yeah. Just and and that's the danger, right, of being self-employed, and especially those of us who work alone most of the time. Then you you know, well, what else am I going to do? I'm just going to work, right? So it yes, you have to map out even time off. I'm going to get up at four o'clock, and I'm going to go change, and I'm going to go work out, and yeah, yeah, yes, amen, so let's talk more about what you have coming up, because I know that, you know, been watching you as you've been working on your book. So, and you, you took the, uh, the from big idea to bestseller course with me. So let's talk about the book and, uh, it's coming out. So, so we're not going to give any dates because of course we don't want to date the event. So when people are listening, you could be hearing this after the book is out or as part of the launch process, but the link on the, in the show notes is always going to be the most accurate, link to get the details. So let's tell everybody about the book. What can they expect to learn and tell us. Yeah.
1: So it's called creative freedom, how to own your dreams without selling your soul. It's a guide to personal and financial success as a creative entrepreneur. And a good portion of what we've talked about today is in the book. I walk creatives through the entire process that I use with my clients to help them build their 12 month growth plan based on who they are, where they fall on the spectrum, where they're at in business, what they really need. And, and most importantly, what's truly important to them. We look at those five key areas of success. They define what success means for them. They set the goals based on what's important to them. And I find that they, they're just much more invested in it. And then they're willing to do the work to create the plan and then to start executing. And I have to tell you, you know, the clients, this is all work that's come out of like the last 20 years of me working with clients. And particularly in the last year with the clients that I've had in my incubator, we have one, one of the the incubator participants, she made more money in one month than she had made in the entire year prior. And then she went on to triple her income for the year. Right. And, and I mean, this is no small feat when you are a solopreneur and you're like, she said to me, I was about ready to just bag it and go take my military disability and live on an island in Southeast Asia because I could afford to live there. (laughs) I really didn't think it was going to happen for me. And you helped me see how to change the way I think about my business as a business versus an expensive hobby or or something else. And so the book not only walks you through the processes and systems and and the step-by-step how-to stuff, there's also a lot of case study um examinations of lots of creative entrepreneurs um Great. from uh Michelangelo to Adolf Hitler as an artist, mind you, which that that all the research on Hitler just blew me away. Um, and he was a linear creative, I'll I'll spoiler alert, I'll let you know. Um, and and the whole the whole spectrum with modern day and historical figures. Um, people from my own, you know, experiences, and even my own life, because I've been a creative entrepreneur my entire life. When I was three years old, I was wrangling up the neighbor kids, charging them a quarter so that I could perform for them, and, you know, I've been doing it ever since, and so um, it's really what I call can do and how to. You get the inspiration of that you can do it and change your mindset stuff, but then it's also, let me show you how to do that, because if you have one or the other, you're going to get stuck. You can have lots of inspiration, and not know what to do. And you can have lots of what to do and just feel like, oh my God, it's too much. I can't do it. Yes, you can. And this book shows you how.
0: Awesome. That is so exciting. Now you talked about the five key areas of success. Does this fit in then with your first book? Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes, actually. Um, my first book, which was
1: a bestseller on three continents. Yeah. Um, it's called the secret watch. And in this book, It's a parable about how you define success on your own terms. And the woman's given this mysterious watch that has these unique inscriptions in it, and it changes every day. And there are 60 inscriptions, um, 12 for each of the five key areas of success. And so she learns, discovers, and codifies these key areas of success. But it's faith, family, fitness, fortune, and freedom. And when you define success for yourself in each of those key areas, you have something that's meaningful to you, that you feel compelled to want to move forward on. Once you see it, you can't unsee it kind of a thing. And so these two books kind of work in tandem to support one another um, in helping people, not just creatives, but especially creatives, to define and achieve success on their own terms.
0: Yeah, awesome. And and I can tell you the secret watch it's such a great book. I am not a fan of creative nonfiction. Uh, I the the books and creative nonfiction, so think about a book that is like a parable. Um, Bob Berg's book, what's the the goal, the goal getter right? The yeah, go getter. That's right. Yeah. So so that's an example of one and the um, Ken Blanchard books the one minute manager, one manager and the monkey and those kind of things and raving fans are taught as told as a story. There are very few people I can stand reading those books because they require such a specific kind of talent. And so I rank Lisa right up there with with those those authors because she did such a great job on The Secret Watch. So we'll have links, of course, to both of those books so you can make sure that you get them. So, Lisa, do you want to just... Thanks so much for being here, but you want to just share a little bit about how people can learn more about you and more specifically what you do to, to work with clients? Sure.
1: The, the easiest thing to do and probably the funnest thing to do is if you haven't already, go take the, the creative entrepreneur type quiz over at lisarobinyoung.com forward slash quiz. Find out what your type is and get to know my work through how it applies to you. Because for me, it doesn't matter what I know. It matters how it applies to your life, your work, and achieving what's important to you. So if you go there, take the quiz, you don't even have to opt in. The opt-in is not required, um, and you're going to get some insights, and you'll have a better understanding of how I work. There's also tons of videos on the website, and there's, I've been at this for,
0: what, 20 years now? Wow. <laughs> so yeah. I've been online yeah. for a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Great information there, and you definitely want to uh, to get that quiz. All right, Lisa, thanks very much. It's been a great pleasure talking to you as always, my and pleasure. we'll have links to everything that we talked about in the show notes so you can track Lisa down and connect with her and get the book and get the quiz, etc. All right, I hope you found that interesting and helpful. Lisa is an amazing person and a big thinker. She's also been my accountability partner for more years than I can remember. Now, if you like this episode, I hope you'll share it with your connections. Please leave a great review for it on the platform where you consumed it. And be sure to subscribe, either on that specific platform like iTunes, iHeartRadio, Google Play, or you can subscribe to the video version on YouTube, as well as on my website. So when you subscribe at my website at winnieanderson.com slash fans, you'll receive episodes emailed to you each week along with information, tips, and resources to help you profit from your expertise by positioning and pre-selling yourself as the unique, trusted advisor that you are. All right, so your cocktail exercise, otherwise known as a reflection exercise, of course, no alcohol needs to be involved and don't drink and drive. All right, so sometimes our greatest gifts can be a double-edged sword. We tend to want to focus on just what we're great at. We tell ourselves we're not a numbers person, so we don't look at our key performance indicators, those business stats that help us know what's working and what's not. We're idea machines, so we might get easily distracted by a new project, a new idea, or might lose steam that's needed to get a project completed because we love the big idea part, but we're not particularly crazy about the minutia of getting the thing done and launched. In some ways, We might feel that we need to wait for the muse to show up to inspire us so we can end up working frantically to reach a deadline. So I want you to think about how you work and where are the bottlenecks or stuck points in your business. And like Lisa talked about, think about the growth level where you're at. And is that creating too much chaos for you and minimizing your profitability? You know, we start off with the idea to build a business, but often what we end up creating is a job, and we work for an incredibly mean boss, ourselves. You know, businesses are organized in a way that lets you maximize your earning potential while reducing the amount of time that you need to be present to earn the revenue. That's what a business is. So we we might really have a job and not a business, and you want to ask yourself, do I have a business or do I have a job? All right, your action step. It's to identify one specific thing that you do that's actually holding you back. For me, it's not planning my schedule better. I over schedule and make myself crazy. For you, it might be saying yes to too many projects at a time because you're afraid of a lean time. So you want to get as much work done as you can. Then, of course, you're not marketing because all you're doing is working, so you're, you set yourself up for a feast or famine cycle all over again. So I want you to commit to facing that one specific thing you do that if you could stop it or change it in some way, you could have a big breakthrough. And then I want you to commit to facing it and taking action to make that change. Of course, we all know that changing behaviors is hard, so don't be surprised if you backslide a bit. We all need support, and there's no shame in recognizing that. Now, if you decide you'd like to get support to make the kinds of changes that you want to make in your business, then consider joining an action takers group. These are small groups of no more than 10 solo professionals and entrepreneurs who provide accountability and support to each other as they move forward to achieve their goals. And these are goals that they otherwise would just not be able to make happen on their own. Group enrollment happens at specific times during the month. So if you want to learn more, go to winnieanderson.com slash action. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Courageous Entrepreneur Show. Remember, you deserve all the success you dream of.